Today's Bible reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Hi everyone, welcome to church today. My name is Adam and it's great to have you join us, whether you're with us in the building or whether you're joining us online. You know, the title for today's sermon is Things to Know When You Don't Know. It could just as well be what to do when you don't know what to do. I mean, this passage that we're looking at today, which sounds a little bit odd on the surface, it's all about the way that we approach life, especially when it's confusing and difficult, especially when we don't know what to do. Now, let's be honest, there are so many occasions in life when we don't know what to do. For example, when my wife Molly and I are able to go out on a date, the conversation often goes like this. What would you like to do tonight? I'm not sure. What would you like to do? Well, I'm not sure. That's why I asked you. Well, how about dinner? Dinner sounds great. Where would you like to go? I'm not sure. Where would you like to go? And on and on we go until we end up at Macca's. Just kidding, we don't end up at Macca's, though we do often end up at a burger joint. You should pray for my poor wife. There are so many occasions in life when we don't know what to do. What to watch on Netflix, which school to send our children to, which car to buy, which suburb to live in, which career to pursue. And of course, often it's more serious than these things. Sometimes we encounter situations or circumstances in life that bring us to the end of our rope. We just don't know where to turn or what to do. Our kids act out in ways that we never would have imagined. Our spouse leaves us. Our bodies fail us. And sometimes we even feel like God has let us down. And the question is, what do we do in those situations? What do you do when you don't know what to do. This is the question that the teacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, explores in chapter 11. Now we're getting very close to the end of our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, next week is the final week in the series. The teacher comes to the end of his search. He comes to the end of the matter. He reaches his conclusion. He tells us the meaning of life. Now, if you've ever wondered about those things, make sure you do not miss out next week. 
But today, in chapter 11, the teacher has one more important lesson to teach us about how to live wisely in God's world, about how to know what to do when we don't know what to do. Now, this is important to talk about, especially in light of last week. It's a a good follow-up to last week's sermon. Now, if you remember, last week we saw that the one certain thing in life is death. We also saw the many things in life which are uncertain. And so, because life is so brief and so unpredictable, we were told to enjoy life while we have it. We were instructed to enjoy the good gifts that God gives to us. But today in chapter 11, the the teacher introduces a different perspective He tells us that yes, because life is so brief and so unpredictable, we should be grateful and enjoy life. But today he says that we should also be courageous and take risks. We should also get off the couch and get busy. We should also attempt great things for God. This is the important lesson that we will learn in this passage today. And the teacher actually gives us three points of instruction. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. Take risks that are wise. Verses 1 to 2. Take risks that are wise. Now, because life is so brief and so unpredictable, because we don't know what the future holds, the temptation is to retreat and to withdraw. The temptation is to protect ourselves and to play it safe, to hoard our money for a rainy day, to never risk being vulnerable with others, to never try anything new. But the the teacher says, actually, it should be the opposite. Because life is so brief and so unpredictable, you should step up, step out and take some risks. It's what he says in verse 1, though he says it in a slightly odd way. He says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Now, this verse is uh, a little bit debated, and you see a few different translations of it, but most scholars agree that the point is for us to take a risk, to step out and to try something, even when we don't know how it will work out, and even when we might lose something. Now, in this verse, in this instance, the risk is engaging in international trade. It's putting your grain on a ship and sending it overseas. Now, in that day, this was an especially risky business. The journeys were long and hazardous. The ships were not as stable. The insurance policies were not as comprehensive, and they didn't have GPS tracking. Plus, it would take many days for the ship to return. In that day, it could take up to three years for a ship to make it back. And so it was incredibly risky to send your grain overseas. But the teacher says in this verse, do it anyway. Try something. Get out there and make something happen. To use a a well-known corporate slogan, just do it. Or we might say today, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Now, John Piper is a a well-known author and pastor, and he's written a little book called Risk is Right. 
Risk is right. And the subtitle of this book is Better to Lose Your Life Than to Waste It. And this is what he says to us. He says, a choice lies before you. Either waste your life or live with risk. Either sit on the sidelines or get in the game. After all, life was no cakewalk for Jesus. And he didn't promise it would be any easier for his followers. We shouldn't be surprised by resistance and persecution. Yet most of us play it safe. We pursue comfort. We spend ourselves to get more stuff. We are all tempted by the idea of security, the possibility of a cosy Christianity. But what kind of life is that really? It's a far cry from adventurous and abundant, from truly rich and really full. And it's certainly not the heights and depths that Jesus calls us to. Now, this is a great little book. It's only 50 pages long and you can download it for free. And the fact is, Piper is exactly right. God does call us to a life of risk. And the Bible is filled with examples of this. I could share many of them with you, but I I just want to share with you the example of Esther. Now, if you don't know the story, Esther was a, a Jewish girl taken by the king of Persia to be his queen. And Esther gets caught up in a plot by one of the king's advisors to exterminate the Jewish people. So Esther's uncle Mordecai reaches out to her and asks her to go before the king to plead the case of their people. But Esther knows that there's a law that says anyone who approaches the king without being summoned, they will be put to death unless the king raises his golden scepter. And apparently this law was in force even for his wives. That's pretty tough. And so Esther sends her reply to her uncle Mordecai with these words. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now Esther had no idea what was going to happen. She had no special insight or revelation from God. She could have done nothing and her people probably would have died. Or she could take a risk and she might have died. She stepped up, she took a risk and she handed the results over to God. And this was right. And I could share so many other examples in the Bible and even in Christian history. I mean, I think especially about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, he lived a life that was full of risk. Bonhoeffer was a a German theologian during the mid-1900s, and he's most well known for standing up to the Nazis during World War II. He stood up to the Nazi-controlled Reich Church. He he, um, participated in assassination plots against Hitler. He had the opportunity to leave Germany, to, to live in America during the war which he did for a few months, but he returned. He went back to Germany because he wanted to participate and support the freedom of the German church and the German people. And ultimately, Bonhoeffer lost his life for the cause. He was arrested and ultimately he was killed by the Nazis only months before the end of the war. I mean, to live a life of faith 
is to live a life of risk. And the question is, what about us? Now, we probably don't have to go before a king. We're not involved in a war. We're we're not likely to lose our lives. But the fact is, we all have areas in our lives where God is calling us to step out and to take a risk. Maybe it's at home with our families. Maybe it's to stop a certain practice or habit or start a new habit or or have a a difficult conversation. Maybe it's at work or, or at school or at uni or at church. Where do you need to step out of your comfort zone and to take a risk? What about us as a church? You know, it always amazes me to think about uh, the risks that were taken to get our church and the school started. If you don't know the story, we used to be in a small church building in Stafford, but a, a group of church members had a vision to start a Christian school and to transplant the church. And this block of land was bought, which uh, wasn't what it looks like today. In fact, it wasn't much to look at at all. It was a trotting track. But this group of people many of who are still a part of our church to this day. They invested their own money. They built things with their own hands. They held countless fundraisers. They took risks. And here we are today. And it excites me to, to think about, well, what's next? What's God calling us to in the future? What might God be calling us to attempt for Him and for His glory? To live a life of faith is to live a life of risk. Now, of course, I'm not saying, and, or, nor is the Bible saying, that we need to be reckless. I mean, some risks that people take, they're, they're just foolish. For example, I wouldn't recommend that you do this. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that looks a little bit like Troy, our, one of our elders and our sound man and a carpenter. I mean, that's a pretty foolish thing to do. Now, we're not being called to be reckless. And this is why the teacher adds something else in verse 2. Yes, he calls on us to take risks, but he calls on us to use wisdom, is what he says. He says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. In other words, yes, send your grain overseas but don't put all of it on one ship. I mean, what happens if a a storm strikes and that ship sinks? You're bankrupt. So invest in seven ventures, even in eight. Diversify. We would say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The teacher's point is that when it comes to risk, we are to step up, we are to step out, we are to try something, but we need to use wisdom and common sense. We need to plan, we need to prepare, we need to pray, we need to study the scriptures, we need to get input from others. We shouldn't be reckless, we shouldn't be impulsive, we shouldn't be foolish, we need to be wise. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. In this brief and uncertain life, are we doing what we can while we can? Are we trying new things? Are we taking risks for God's glory? Again, I love the way that John Piper puts it in his book. It's a a longish quote, but it's worth sharing with you. 
He says, risk is right. And the reason is not that God promises success to all our ventures in His cause. There is no promise that every effort for the cause of God will succeed, at least not in the short run. When King Herod divorced his wife in order to take his brother's wife, John the Baptist risked calling him an adulterer. For this, John got his head chopped off. And he had done right to risk his life for the cause of God and truth. Jesus had no criticism for him, but only the highest praise. Paul risked going to Jerusalem to complete his ministry to the poor. He was beaten up and thrown in prison for two years and then shipped off to Rome and executed there two years later. And he did right to risk his life for the cause of Christ. And now, what about you? Are you caught in the enchantment of security, paralyzed from taking any risks for the cause of God? Or have you been freed by the power of the Holy Spirit from the mirage of safety and comfort? Do you ever say, along with Esther, for the sake of Christ, I'll try it. And if I perish, I perish. The teacher, God's word, is calling on us to take risks, to be bold, to step out, to try something. But to do so with wisdom, to plan, to pray, to prepare. This is the first instruction that the teacher gives us. Take risks that are wise. The second is this. He also says, don't wait for perfect conditions. Don't wait for perfect conditions, verses 3 to 4. Now, if we're honest, what holds us back from taking risks? It's fear of the unknown. It's uncertainty about the future. I mean, what if we fail? What if something goes wrong? What if I lose money or reputation or something else? We fear what might happen, and so we tend to make excuses. I'm too tired. I don't have the time. I'm not capable. I'm not ready. I don't feel motivated. I don't have enough money. Or or this is a classic one in Christian circles. I'm waiting for a clear sign from God. Now, if you're waiting for God to write either yes or no in the sky, chances are you're going to be waiting a long time. I mean, the fact is, in this life and in this world, we will rarely, if ever, have ultimate, total certainty. There is so much in this life that is uncertain. That's what we looked at last week. And if you wait for conditions to be perfect before you ever do anything, you might never end up doing anything. There's a Chinese proverb that says, he who deliberates fully before taking a step will spend his entire life on one leg. This is what the teacher says, same thing in verses 3 to 4. And to make his point, the teacher uh, pictures a farmer. And this farmer is standing in his field. He's looking around at the wind and the clouds. Now, he can't control the wind or the clouds. He can't control when it rains or if a tree falls over. But what he can control, what he is in control of, is when he sows his seed. It's when he plants. And yet this farmer is just standing there, staring into the sky. He is not getting busy with the work that he should be doing because he's standing around waiting for conditions to be perfect. 
Now, we might think, well, that, that farmer's pretty dumb, but let's be honest, we often do the same thing. We often end up paralyzed by fear. Instead of doing what we know we should be doing or what we could be doing, we make excuses, we put it off, we procrastinate. You know, I think about the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. If you don't know the story, there was a rich landowner who was going away on a long journey. But before he goes, he gives different amounts of money to three of his servants. Two of the servants take the money, they invest it, and in the end, they double what they were originally given. But the other servant, he's afraid to risk or to lose his master's money. And so he takes it and he buries it in the ground. Now, it might look like a wise and a prudent thing to do. After all, at least he won't lose his master's money. But the fact is, he's paralyzed by fear, by fear of the unknown. And when the master returns, he rewards the first two servants and he rebukes the third one. He calls him a wicked and a lazy servant. Now, the truth is, we will give account to God one day for what we've done with what he's given to us. And Jesus tells us in this story that we won't be able to say we were just afraid about the future. We were afraid of what might happen. I mean, yes, life is uncertain. Yes, the future is unknown. Yes, we might even fail. But we should not let that stop us from trying something new. We should not let that stop us from stepping out. We should not wait for perfect conditions before we do something because we might not ever do anything. We might end up keeping our treasure and our talents buried in the ground until we end up buried alongside them, which would be a tragedy. Now, we've got to be clear, the Bible is not saying, nor am I saying, that we have to do something huge, that we have to change the world. That's not the point. We don't have to write a book, we don't have to start a school, we don't have to change the world. Rather, we simply have to take whatever God has placed in our hands, our time, our talents, our treasures, and we are to use them in whatever way God leads for His glory. Now you might think, well, what does that even look like? What, do, what does that mean? I would simply ask you, what's in your hands? What has God given to you? What opportunities are in front of you? And are you using them? Are you taking advantage of them? What are you doing with what God has given you? When we face the uncertainty of life, when we don't know what to do, the teacher says, firstly, take risks that are wise. He says, don't wait for perfect conditions. Thirdly, finally, and most importantly, he also says, number three, trust the God who knows what you don't. Verses five to six. This is what he says in verse five. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Now, the point here is that there is so much that we don't know. I mean, we don't know the way that the wind will blow. We don't even know all the details about how a baby grows from conception to birth. Now, we know a lot. We know more than they knew in that day. 
But the more that we know, the more amazing it seems. And if we don't even fully comprehend these things, if even these things are beyond us, then how much more the ways of God? How much more what God is doing in the world? I mean, the fact is, there are so many things that happen that are beyond our understanding. I mean, we don't know why accidents happen or why healing doesn't. We don't know why prayers go unanswered or or dreams go unfulfilled. We don't know why some couples can't get pregnant and others can. We don't know why some are born with disability and disorder. We don't know why there are some diseases and viruses and parasites that exist. I mean, we just don't understand. These things are a mystery to us. But it's in the midst of our confusion and our doubt around the things that we don't know, that we have to remember and look to the things that we do know. To use the words of Charles Spurgeon, when we cannot trace God's hand, we can trust His heart. Now, why is it that we can trust God's heart? Why can we know that God is at work for good? The answer is because we know and we understand the greatest work of God, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate proof to us, the final answer to us that God cares. Jesus is the one who shows us the depth of God's love. I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, He is the one who came from heaven to earth to die in our place for our sin, for our rebellion, and to rise again, to defeat death and to offer us life, both now and forever. And Jesus is coming again to make all things new. This is what we know. And so we might not understand everything that happens in this world, but because of the finished work of Jesus, we can know for certain, once and for all, that God is for us, not against us. That God is with us, not distant from us. And that God will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. Someone shared with me this week that the story of a lady named Hannah. Now, Hannah's son, Harry, died shortly before he turned two. And Hannah speaks about the fact that she has no idea why. She cannot understand why. But she goes on and she says, Where else would I find a certain hope of life beyond the grave? Who else has dealt with the brokenness of this world and has put death to death forever? As far as I can see, it's only Jesus. The promise of a better future is only possible because he lives. What do you do when you don't know what to do? The answer is to trust the God who knows what you don't. The God who created you and our universe. The God who sees the end from the beginning and the God who sent Jesus for you. And when we see the lengths that God has gone to for us, when we see Jesus laying down his life for us, our only response is to lay down our life for him. This is why we take risks. 
I mean, it's not because we want to be a hero. It's because we have a hero. It's not because we need to earn God's favor and God's love. It's because we already have God's favor. We already have God's love. Again, to quote John Piper, he says, the strength to risk losing face, being ridiculed for the sake of Christ, is the faith that God's love will lift up your face in the end and vindicate your cause. The strength to risk losing money for the cause of the gospel is the faith that we have a treasure in the heavens that cannot fail. The strength to risk losing life in this world is faith in the promise that he who loses his life in this world will save it for the age to come. You know, I heard a story this week about a lady named Karen Watson, and she truly understood this. She lived this. She was a missionary in Iraq, uh, but she was killed in 2004. And before she died, she wrote a letter to her pastors, and it said this, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to Him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. In regards to any funeral service, keep it small and simple. Yes, just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. Give glory and honour to our Father. And then she concludes with this poem. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too and my church family in His care, Karen. When you don't know what to do, trust God. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. And expect more than some think is possible. Because you do not know what God might choose to do in and through you. In fact, this is how the teacher concludes the passage in verse 6. He says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let, not your, hands, let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. You do not know what God might choose to do in and through you. You know, this week, I, I, again, I heard the story of Luke Short. Now, Luke was 103 years old. Yes, 103 years old. And he was sitting at his home in Virginia in the United States, and he remembered a sermon that he once heard. And he was convicted of his sin, and he asked God to forgive his sin through Jesus. Now, Luke died three years later at the age of 106, and his tombstone read, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. But here's the really remarkable part. You see, the sermon that Luke remembered, the sermon which caused him to become a Christian on that day, he first heard it 85 years earlier 
back in England. Now, nearly a century had passed between the preaching of that sermon and his conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. You do not know what God might choose to do in and through you. And this actually reminds me of the story of our own Jim Duchman. Now, Jim has shared with us before a little bit of his testimony and his story, and I want to share some of, with, some of it with you today. Listen to this. Do you realise we all have a story to tell? My journey towards God started when I was seven years of age. The elder of the Meribah Church of Christ would come on Sunday morning and pick up my brothers and I and take us to Sunday school. Dad didn't own a motor vehicle at that time. His wife and my mother were schoolmates together. Over the next five years, my brother, mother, father and I became followers of Jesus and attended church on a regular basis. All this happened because someone took an interest in our family and did something. You could call this our first step towards experiencing God's grace. You never know what God might do. And so, over to you. What's in your hands? What has God placed on your heart? Use every opportunity you have to live wisely and boldly and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set our feet on solid rock. We thank you that we are safe and secure in your family through the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And because we are safe and secure forever, Lord, we can lay our lives down in this life. We can serve you. We can step up. We can step out. We can take risks. We can try things for the good of others and the glory of your name. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to see what you have placed in our hands, the things you have placed on our hearts, so that we might follow you wherever you lead us. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be filled with faith. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you and that are helpful to others for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.